Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Okay, so let's continue. Um, I, I also just want to say um, that there's some people... How many people have, have never been to Center of Gravity before who are here? Oh, okay, good. So I just want to welcome you. Um, usually when we practice in this space, we have a little more formality. We spend time in silence. Um, and uh, this is a little bit different. And also, um, sometimes when you come into a new space like this, uh, you'll notice that there's lots of people who know each other. So if you come here and you don't know anybody, uh, you should just know that everyone had this experience once. Yeah. And that mostly people are pretty friendly here and don't have any money. Yeah, we, we don't have any money issues. So I'd like to uh, continue. Um, we'll probably just continue for a little bit, around 20 minutes, and then we'll stop. Um, when the Buddha talked about a working he spoke about having an appropriate livelihood. And uh, I wanted to read you uh, some of what the Buddha said about livelihood, because it might surprise you. Because I think most of us think that if you uh, have a contemplative life, you just shouldn't have any money. Uh, but it's interesting what he says. He says, um, in someone's work, he or she should be energetic, industrious, diligent, skillful, and proficient. It's kind of surprising. So most people think about uh, someone who's a Buddhist as like a dropout. But he's describing someone who's active and really engaged in the culture. Then he says, people should protect their earnings, keep good company, and live within their means. Wealth provides four kinds of happiness. Uh, one, 
economic security, which he defines as having enough money to spend generously on oneself and others. Number two, peace of mind that accompanies freedom from debt. The Buddha thought very poorly of debt. And actually, in the United States, when many large organizations like the uh, Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts, which is an enormous organization, uh, created their organizations and built their retreat centers, one of their missions was to run their organizations without having any debt. Uh, and lastly was uh, leading a blameless life. So I just want to go through that again. Uh, wealth, uh, he taught, provided it was lawfully obtained, brings four kinds of happiness. Economic security, having enough to spend generously on oneself and others. Peace of mind, that accompanies freedom from debt and leading a blameless life. He also said that the quality of one's work should reflect the spirit in which it's done. The quality of one's work should reflect the spirit in which it's done. And if you have employees, workers' material requirements should be catered to, but also their spiritual needs. And his definition of that is that one's livelihood should create an atmosphere in the workplace of kindness, cooperation, <laughs> mindfulness, and generosity. Kindness, cooperation, mindfulness, and generosity. And the thing I like about these suggestions or these values is he, he couldn't possibly tell you how to do this. He's just giving you like a guideline for ways of thinking about what to do with your money, how to make your money, and in a place of work, um, how to take care of your employees. So, are there any comments or questions before we start to summarize? Yeah. I have a question about, um, well, my question is, how does wealth provide you the opportunity to live a blameless life? I don't think I'm understanding that. How does wealth provide you the opportunity of living a blameless life? Well, I guess this really depends on how we're using the term wealth. Because I think the, wealth, the word wealth right now in our culture, probably doesn't mean the same thing as it meant 2,500 years ago. Um, 
it seems very hard to generate large amounts of wealth in our culture these days without being related to extractivist industry. So um, I think it would be hard to lead a blameless life. Uh, nowadays, if the money that we're making is coming from drilling holes uh, in the earth. Um, but what do, you, what do you think? What does it mean to you? Someone else. What's a blameless life? Yeah. Maybe it's something about the hierarchy of needs, right? If you're in a, if you're in a state of having a lot of need that are needs that are on the basic level, like not being able to eat or have shelter, yeah, then you're not going to be in a spot where you can be generous with others or extend with others, right? Or because you're not, you're just you're just surviving, right? Whereas a blameless life would come when you have the stability and the security in yourself because you're happy with what you're doing and that is a good balance, like the, the balance you were talking about. Yes. How, where your money's coming from relating to what you want to do with your life. Yes. It's all connected and so you have the resources to be able to, to give. Yes. So that's why we started tonight saying that what I hope came across was that in the subject of money, there's, it's not only the site of interconnection, it's also the site of greed and aversion and desire and craving, and it's messy. And I think if you want to have a mindful relationship with money, you need to be able to step into that messiness. So... Um, when we say blameless life, we also should understand that if you have a clean moral conscience, you don't understand karma in 2014. Because if all of our actions have an effect, then it's never going to be clean. And that's the place we need to explore when we're working with money. So I don't want you to leave here tonight and say, oh, I have a blameless life now, I have no debt. Well, it's never the case, it's complicated. Yes, Lori. I wonder if it has something to do with being self-employed. Because I think it implies something um, around uh, self-responsibility, that Mm. we are responsible Mm. for... Mm -hmm choice and for the decisions we make, mm. including work. Mm-hmm. And if you accept self-responsibility, you only have yourself to blame, really. Mm-hmm. And so when you're self-employed, you, you're, you're not blaming um, an employer if you lose your job or mm. if you're in an unhappy workplace. So mm. there's, for me, it, it's connected to self-responsibility. Yeah. Rather than you being blameless, you're not blameless. Yeah. You see, one of the things in the Buddhist framework that sometimes it would take many hours to really get into in a deeper way, but is that the Buddha was responding historically, contextually, to the um, 
to an era where there were so many new religions being created. And the Buddha was trying to create a framework without using God as the mechanism around which everything pivots. So if you don't have God, then ethics becomes something completely different. Because if you have a God, then if you do something bad, then Santa Claus is not coming down the chimney with Lego at Christmas time. <laughs> but um, in the, the Buddhist framework, there is a mesh, there is a net that is you. In other words, karma is not something that happens to you. Karma is just what you are. All you are are actions and the effect of actions, right? When there's an action, it has an effect, and the effect is in the, the web. And you're the web. You're part of that web. So that from a Buddhist philosophical perspective, you don't need God in that paradigm because what it's saying is all of your actions have an effect, so everything you do, you're responsible for. And sometimes the effect of your actions are immediate, and sometimes they're not immediate, like parenting. Right? You don't know what you're going to get. But you do your best without grasping, you see? So this is really important when we think about money, right? is that everything you do has an effect. And because it has an effect and everything you do matters, everything that you do is political, everything you do is ethical or not. And because it's complicated, it's never clean. Right. Yes? No, I was just thinking about the, the reference to, to God. And, <coughs> um, and I think, I don't know, I guess my own personal kind of interpretation of the different readings and my understanding of, the, of God is God being a representation of our highest selves, not mm -hmm. that necessarily like this external force that we get yeah. to say rules over mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I was just wondering if it's not too um, early to just ask another question. The, if, to, if you could speak to the magical power. Oh, that, magical powers? That, um, yeah, what was that question again? <laughs> I liked that one too. Oh, to what extent do you attribute magical powers to money? What does that mean? To what extent do you attribute magical power to money? If I had a million dollars, I would be on and on and on and on. Okay. If I had a million dollars, I would have... I would have more friends, I would have a better job, better house. Uh-huh. So the money can make magical things happen for you. Uh-huh. What else? I heard about in like Feng Shui about putting money in a certain corner of the room, like a little tray of your coins. I tried it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you put money in a certain corner of your room, and, yeah. and what happens? Well, it, it seems to work okay. so far. It, it, uh, you attract more money. The wealth yeah. corner. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Well, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I 
associated with uh, possibilities. Possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I find it's like um, when people have a lot of money, what they what they exude and how much they can attract people and keep people's attention the same way as if you are pleasing to someone's eye, you have like five minutes, whereas if you they, you weren't pleasing to someone's eye, you'd only have five seconds. It's exponentially uh-huh. different. And the find that mm-hmm. people that have money, people find out they have money, they have like their time. And people are drawn to them and fascinated. Like, how do they, what do you do? Like, what do you like? How do you get the money? You know? uh-huh. It's like, and that's like, like this <coughs> they have. So that's like, like a matter of how they, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Doug? Um, I think uh, I would agree with the previous comment that I had that, that money makes crackpots um, believable. And I'm just thinking to the Koch brothers in the U.S. Uh-huh. who are rich and crazy. And so people can be wealthy and nuts. No, people say, wow, that's really inspired and insightful as opposed to listening to what they're saying. Oh, they see that, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Erin? I think it's a way to of imagining how money might arrive to you. Um, like, the, you know, one way it could be like, you're going to work this much and make this much an hour. And then this other way is like, I don't know, it's gonna, I'm going to somehow change my relationship with money and then money will just be attracted to me or this other way of thinking about mm-hmm. where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I remember what Center of Gravity first started. We just had, well, things haven't changed that much, but we used to have a little bowl that you put money into. And then at the end of the night, the bowl would get put in a box. This was almost 10 years ago. And then the money would get taken out of the box to pay rent or like whatever, things like that. And I just like never did any accounting. We just, there was money and you just paid bills and it just all magically kind of happened. And then once in a while you could take out $20 and you could go, you know, get a, whatever. So then, uh, years ago, we got a board of directors. You heard of these things? And they said, okay, well, we would like to see the accounting of how the center runs. I said, oh, it just runs, you know. And, and then, yeah. And then Lori, who's here in this room, her and I started going around the city because we wanted to find a bigger space. And then I remember the whole time going, oh yeah, we could afford that or we couldn't afford that or but it wasn't actually like based on anything. It was just magical. And then when we became a charity, the first thing we had to do was actually had to do an audit. And it was it was I mean everything was fine, but it was still like the first time I actually saw the numbers. And I had resistance. Like I didn't want to actually see the numbers. Yeah. I just like knew it all kind of worked somehow. So this is one way that magical money kind of can happen. Yes. And it's also kind of magical when you are working on something that you like and you love, like selling, for example. Yeah. And at the end of the night, you're like, whoa, I am capable of this. Right. But like this, it just sort of feels. Yeah. Yeah. Magical. Like receiving it feels magical. Receiving. Like work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, A reward. Thank you. There's just this big. Mm-hmm. Bowl of money yeah. in case. Yeah. I can buy coffees with it, but yeah. it doesn't seem related to the work you did or right. it seems separated or yeah. something. Yeah. Okay. Petra. Um, well, one thing I want to say as far as power goes is that I think it has the power you give it. Hmm. And that um, a lot of, and that I think I've always thought money's a tool. Mm-hmm. 
And in many ways, my whole life, things have sort of worked out evenly in a magical way because that's where I feel comfortable mm-hmm. with it. It's mm-hmm. like, um, I have a pretty low upper limits in terms of like how high I'm willing to go that I feel comfortable in. So mm-hmm. I want to raise that for myself so that I can um, feel comfortable with more money. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, yeah, it's a tool to create... What, what you need for yourself and what you want is around you. And mm-hmm. I think you can give it that power. Hmm. Yeah, great. Well, the last thing that I want to uh, suggest is that if you go to your handout, in your handout, there is some questions we've gone through already, which are... Are, are those handouts numbered? No. Next time we do this, I have to number the handouts. The last questions that we did together. What page is that on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you really, really want something. Oh, maybe I gave mine away. That's why I don't have it. Can someone read them out? Or here, I'll, I'll read them. Okay. Um, when you okay, so this is your homework, and this is what I want to leave you with. So, um, if you live alone, pick something that you really, really, really want, and go through this exercise all week this week, and just watch how the thing changes over the week. And as I say that, you're going to say, "Oh, that's kind of a cool idea. I can imagine Michael doing that." <laughs> but actually, I want you to try this a few times during the week. About the same thing. And if it's if you live with somebody, I want you to do it together. And just so you could you could sort of answer it separately and then share your answers, or you could come up with the responses together as a couple. And just to go through those questions again. When you really, really, really want something. Ask these questions. One, where will this thing go in my life? Number two, how big a role should this play in my life and in my community? Number three, how central is it in living a flourishing life? And last, how does this support friendship care for the earth, modesty, and helpfulness. And out comes your response. Now, uh, your second piece of homework is um, instead of trying to suddenly tomorrow arrange your whole life so 25% of your income goes to (laughs) consumption, 25% Try it for a day. Just try it on for a day. In one day, see if you can spend 25% just on the basics of your living. Whatever you need to consume to live. And then in one day, that same day, spend 25% of that allotted amount of money 
on putting it away. And then 50% reinvesting in something to do with your education or your practice or your business. Experiment for a day what that feels like. How do you come up with the amount of money to start with? I don't know. Just choose, just choose it at the beginning of the day. Yeah. Yes? I just had a thought from before about that yeah. 50%. Yeah. I think maybe coming from a cultural context, and again, I'm guessing that was yeah. 2,500 years ago, yeah. but that their society would have been more different. So the kind of work people would have been doing would have been much more, you know, it would have been craftspeople or tradespeople, that sort of thing. So their livelihood would be much more aligned with, uh, they'd be a lot closer to uh, being entrepreneurial, what we would consider entrepreneurs. Uh-huh. It wouldn't be so much in terms of uh, being employees. So in mm. terms of people investing 50% into what they do, it would be, yeah. okay, if you're going to be a, a leather worker or something like that, uh-huh. be a really good leather worker. Yeah. And so that becomes your role, which you do your best to uh-huh. And uh-huh. that becomes the way you can contribute. And right. If that's not working for you, you find something else to do. Yeah. In our society, maybe where a lot more people are employed uh-huh. further down, then I don't know if that number 50%, because if you think of a business person, a business person deals with, generally deals with a lot more income than, you know, and, and it's shaved away. It's kind of like uh, how much markup you have in your life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So an employee might have less markup. Uh huh. Yeah. Absolutely. That's just yeah. So what would you do? Um, How do you think about it then, as an employee? How do well, you think I'm about those percentages? I'm oh. Okay. And um, but it just it makes me think of, about those percentages because I think I'm actually not too far off. Uh huh. At least the fifty percent part, the actual savings part, not no. so much. But. <laughs> But um, in terms of investing in yourself, I think that's, whether it's education or something like that, you might not be able to invest 50%, but if you could invest in taking care of yourself yeah. and in getting closer to what it is you're supposed to be doing yeah. in this world. Then, yeah. Yeah, like should the onus be on the employee to be using 50% to be investing in their own self? Or should the business be contributing to that? Yeah. Like self-care, for example. Yeah. Anything they want? Anybody want to add something to that point? There's also a way to think of it as an employee in terms of like time is money, you know. And so if time is money. So yeah. If you're spending yeah. more time. Yeah. Learning how to do a good job at your job. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. And that then thus like not spending your money or not making more money yeah. because you're spending more time yes. more, you know that's maybe a way to think about it as an employee versus a yeah. situation where it's yeah. yes what about when you're financing yourself purely on debt when you're financing yourself purely <laughs> on debt like no money yeah. I spend is my money yeah essentially yeah I'm a, I'm a professional program yeah it's a lot of money and yeah Uh huh. And also knowing that in the future, I'll have a different struggle with making perhaps more than I need. So it's like right. it's like a weird place to be in. Yeah.
Yeah, and how many students go into a professional program, accumulate an enormous debt, go into work, get a job, or start their own business, and then after a few years they say, I don't want to do this anymore. But then they have to keep doing it because their debt is so high, you see. So it's really complicated student debt nowadays. But, um, you know, and, and we could spend a whole evening on debt. But uh, the Buddha really thought poorly about debt. He thought it created a level of stress that wasn't healthy for people. And this was 2,500 years ago, and the way debt worked then is not actually so different. It's still debt. Yeah. So um, the thing that's interesting about that is now if somebody's a business person... Doug, um, I don't think we even think about business without having debt. I mean, it's just like standard. Yeah, and now a lot of students feel this way too, I think. You know, you don't even think about going to school without also thinking about the debt that's related to going to school. So I think that's a really good good point. Yeah. One more comment, and then we're going to say good night. Oh, okay, two comments. So maybe just a question of where does debt fit into that 100%? Oh, so I'm just, I'm just giving you the Buddha's like schema here. It doesn't mean like this is what everybody should do, but it's just a, a countercultural way of thinking about money. In this model, there is no place for debt. The Buddha thought that people should not have money that, d- that came in contact with arms, and he thought that people should not have any debt. That he had a, you know, that was his... But let's say... Yeah. Trans- Translating it, yeah. Because I want to try that. Yeah. When I have debt, that's yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a piece of the reality. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, but I want to think that there's uh, two... To 25% and that's 50%. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I was just curious. So my impression is that it would be 50% that go towards the investment actually in myself. Yeah. It's the stress level that it causes. Oh, that's interesting. Like, yeah. But I was just curious what you thought based on. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Where, where should the paying off of debt fall into that percentage? Usually, if it's student debt, then the average. Well, let me know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 I'd like to have come to the evening on debt because it brings us like a whole other realm of questions. Yeah. Um, sometimes I have fantasies of what would happen to Canada if you took all of the young people who have so much debt and so much creative energy and you just wiped away their debt so that they could actually use their creative energy so anyways let's just do that pipelines would not be built yeah Let's just do that. So, okay. Uh, It's pretty much 9 o'clock. So, uh, my goal tonight was just to get a conversation started for people uh, to also step a little bit into the uncomfortable zone 
of some of the internal schemas around money. And uh, the purpose of the handout is so that you can keep doing this at home and with other people. And for those of you who live with someone, I really encourage you not to do this privately (laughs) and to share this with uh, whoever you live with. So uh, thank you very much. I'll hang around uh, for the next little while. And for those of you who do come to Center of Gravity, we reconvene here on Tuesday night in a few days. So thank you very much.